Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own and invite your friends, or share it with the larger community. All in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now. We live in a golden age of queer TV. In just the last week, I watched the new queer teen romance show Heartstopper, the very funny and very queer pirate comedy series Our Flag Means Death, and the Andy Warhol Diaries, which is an intimate look at the famous artist's gay relationships. But back in the 80s and 90s, the queer media landscape was much less robust, especially when it came to TV. In this episode, Drew describes receiving most of his queer education through broadcast sitcoms, and he's turned this obsession into his profession. He's the co-host of Gayest Episode Ever, a podcast where he and his co-host Glenn dissect the very special TV episodes of the past that had queer characters and storylines. One of Drew's personal obsessions is Friends, a show he confesses he doesn't even like, But as a resident of a small California town where he knew no other gay person and queer culture was all but ignored, he looked to friends as a kind of lifeline where queerness was, at the very least, acknowledged and occasionally celebrated. There was a lesbian wedding, a queer parent, and yes, a lot of gay panic when it came to the friendship between the men in particular. But queerness was often part of the conversation, and in the early 90s, We took what we could get. Listening to Drew talk about Friends, I realized that I had watched it for similar reasons. Because it's meaningful when we hear stories we can relate to. It feels good to be seen. And I suspect that queer podcasts may end up being someone else's first discovery of queer culture. And if that is true for you, listener, by the time you finish listening to Drew or any of the other featured interviewees, I hope we've helped you feel a little less alone and a little more seen. Oh, and if you'd like to learn more about Gayest Episode Ever, check out gayestepisodeever.com. I will also provide a link to the website in the show notes of this episode. I have some exciting behind-the-scenes news to share. Thanks to Fruit Bowl's new sponsor, Spaces, this episode's interview is the first to be edited by Ryan Whedon one of three new assistant editors I've been training for the last month. It's been so fun instructing them in the technique that I have developed for the last three seasons, and it's my hope that, with their help, we will be able to post more episodes more frequently on a more predictable schedule. Later this season, I'll be inviting each of them to introduce an interview that they have edited and talk a little bit about what it's been like to work on Fruit Bowl. Speaking of the Spaces app, I have been having fun sharing my thoughts there about all the TV shows I've been watching, as well as giving updates about production and different film festivals. So check out Spaces and come say hi in any one of the three Fruit Bowl spaces that I have created. I'm still accepting listener submissions of short, sexy stories. You can share them via Spaces, or you can write it out 
or record yourself using your phone's voice memo app and send an email of the sound file to dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com. I've been sharing fun video clips from the archive with my patrons who have joined at the Salad Tosser tier. The latest video features Sam from episode one of season one describing his surefire method of getting trans men off. Special thanks to my latest patrons, Jeff R. and Gabe L. Currently, we are at 40 patrons who provide $237 a month to help pay for website maintenance, music licenses, and promotional efforts. Learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. Okay, that's enough from me. Now, here's Drew. I'm noticing a sort of man that I was not conscious of being attracted to before. And that might seem sort of surprising, but your dick's going to lead you in a new direction no matter whether you want to or not, and you're just going to end up following it. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name is Drew. I'm 39 years old, and I graduated high school in 2000. This episode was recorded in February of 2022 in Los Angeles. I grew up in a boring town in the center of California where there is nowhere nice to get dinner. It's actually fairly middle of the road. We got a GSA like a few years after I graduated, which was like kind of like, oh, good for you, crappy hometown. Really Catholic. So it is a weird mix of Democrat, but like more centrist, conservative Democrat and a very small town where everyone knows everyone's business all the time. So in that way, it's conservative because you have to be scared that everyone's going to tell every one of your relatives everything you do. I like to say this like Peyton Place without anything interesting happening. Mother, father, married, still married today, and an older sibling uh, by three years. I was the only one who was displaying anything close to a non-standard, like, sexuality. So there is someone, and I remember having a conversation with my mom about this maybe, like, a decade ago, and let's just call him Philip. Someone that I've known since I was a little kid. I was like, Philip's gay, right? My mom's like, oh, the jury's still out on that. Philip's, like, got to be 70-something at this point in his life. And I'm like, the jury's reached a verdict. Most of the people in my hometown are maybe just politely declining to acknowledge that the jury has reached a verdict on that. So that was that one person, but that is literally it. I don't have any concept of anyone in my family interacting with anyone even remotely queer ever except for me. My parents, I would not say were outright homophobic, but I would say that they were just dismissive of queer people. It was something that didn't really require their attention. Like, why would they have to care about, like, queer people? The first time I ever learned about the idea of sex, it might be Look Who's Talking. Look Who's Talking is a movie where Christy Alley plays a pregnant lady, and I don't remember who plays the love interest, but half of the action is her, and half the action is her fetus 
turn then and which eventually becomes a baby, you know, because that's how that works. Um, who is voiced by Tony Danza or Danny DeVito or someone like that. It is the mom experiencing motherhood, and then the baby has a voiceover. That might be the first time I was getting an idea for what that was. So if it wasn't Christy Alley who taught me about that, then it was probably the Bible. And I realized those are like the saddest answers. I got sex ed when I was in grammar school from a priest. So we had a female teacher and then the priest would come and take all the boys out and go to like an empty classroom and tell us slightly different versions of how sex works, I guess, which seems weird. It was diagrams and it was uh, explanations of what different organs do. And then it was the idea that like, if you're having sex, you're doing it with someone you love to create life together. And that's this precious thing that you don't want to spoil on someone that you're not making a baby in. So yeah, abstinence. And we're not going to tell you about anything that's not vaginal sex. And certainly nothing you can do to skirt around the problem of really wanting to have sex if you're not married. My dad had a discussion with me that I feel on some way was mandated by the school where I had to understand how AIDS was transmitted without getting myself in too much trouble. I had to be like, I, I, I know how to use a condom. I went to Catholic school until partway through high school and then I transferred to public school. So it was the public school that would have uh, encouraged that, that conversation to happen. I remember there's a facts of life where... Natalie loses her virginity and she's the first of the four girls to have sex. And it's really surprising. She makes a decision that everyone else is like shocked by. And to the point that uh, Lisa Welchel, who played Blair, didn't appear in the episode. She's just gone from that episode because she was so Christian that she was like, I can't be associated with the idea of this girl choosing to have sex out of wedlock while in college. There's this episode of Friends where Joey can't have sex for some reason and he's advised to like, well, just like take care of her. And this is when I was still dating girls. I was still dating girls like through the beginning of college. But like you could have sex with a woman and it wouldn't necessarily be about your own gratification. You could make the entire event about making her feel good. And when it happens, she's like surprised and she's happy about this. But then she's like, it's almost like you're a woman. And that was the reaction he gets to it. And that's weird. And he's like ashamed of it. So that part sucked. But like, it was interesting to think about sex in a way that wasn't about you just always getting off yourself. Like this can be something nice for her. I can't believe I, I can't believe that's what came up. (laughs) The first time I learned about queer sex, unfortunately, was probably almost certainly the Bible because, uh, as they teach you fairly young the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God destroys an entire town because the men want to rape a male angel. And that is something that they would have taught us fairly explicitly. And this is why it's bad. And I kind of actually remember being like, how does that even work? I mean, I would imagine angels don't have gender the way humans do. Maybe they do. I don't know. And... Considering how much time I spent in Catholic school, you think that would have been answered by now? It's not. Um, The first time I got any idea about, like, the fact that people could have sex with non-angels and not get their town destroyed probably would have been sitcoms. Uh, I graduated high school in 2000, so I was uh, in high school during the age of must-see TV. And there was a ton of gay people on must-see TV. 
and even though they weren't super explicit about it, it might have been like Carol and Susan on Friends. The notion of them having like a satisfying sex life the way that uh, Susan, you know, Carol didn't have with Ross, that might have been that might have been it. Going back and rewatching all these things that I would have seen when I was a very little kid and realizing that I learned about gay culture because of this little moment, this little insignificant moment. And a lot of times it was actually a negative thing where I got in my head that like, if you do this, everyone's going to think you're gay and that's bad. It's actually been very therapeutic to go back and pick these things apart and realize that I've been entertaining this very silly idea in my head and I hadn't questioned it because I had no other sources of information about queer people, gay men, gay sex, anything. And so that was all I had. And so that's all I had to go by. And that just kind of got codified into my brain. And in a way, like seeing it through TV and getting that information might've been the best delivery system in a way. Yeah. I mean, considering that like it was being filtered through fact checkers and advisors who'd be like, this is the thing to tell them, not this. And also those are scripts being written by Hollywood liberals and they were giving a different concept of sex than I would have ever gotten in my hometown. So, yeah. I didn't know what I was, but I knew I wasn't straight. And I knew that was affecting the way I was interacting with other people. We did get the internet in probably 96 or 97. And I was aware of the fact that I was into guys, uh, in addition to girls, um, in like 98, I would say. So um, I was very furtively trying to research everything I could about naked men on the family computer. So what I was able to find was like so fucking hit and miss. When you're a teenager who's just aware that you're gay and your internet skills suck and you're just looking around online, what you find is like the most mainstream depiction of like beefcake photos, like XY Magazine type stuff is like the kind of stuff that comes up. But it never really landed for me in the way that really made sense. I wasn't feeling about sex the way I heard other guys talk about sex, the way sex is described in like media. But that's because I had such a narrow conception of like what was out there and what I was allowed to look at that I, I wasn't getting something that actually spoke to me. I don't like get any concept of like what a bear was back then. And if I did, I probably like was so locked into the idea of what was appropriate for a gay man to look at that I would have like mentally discarded like an older guy, a bigger guy, a guy with a beard as something that was not what I was supposed to be looking at, I guess. Mm -hmm. If we do see it, it's probably in a negative context. Like, do you remember that movie with Paul Rudd called The Object of My Affection? Yes. Okay, so he gets set up with on a date with a doctor who's like a hunky bear doctor and the guy is very forward and there's the implication that like he's into like some sort of like leather community and we're supposed to view this through Twinkie Paul Rudd's eyes as being like, oh God, this is just disgusting. Can you believe like anyone thought I'd be into this? And I watched that again as an adult and I was like, he's really fucking hot. Like he's not only someone I would be most interested in talking to in any sort of like gay party atmosphere, but like that's also kind of like the man I want to be. Like he's very confident. He's not embarrassed by his sexuality at all in a way that Paul Rudd seems like he is. And it's so weird that that was a movie that I think a lot of gay people, gay men in particular, have like very good affection towards. But it's such a fucking toxic message about don't be weird. 
Like you're supposed to like this very specific thing. And if you don't, that's gross. And you're not allowed to date Paul Rudd. I saw that when I was probably, if not in high school, very young college. And I just, I didn't question it. I was like, these are, this is made by gay people. They're telling me what I need to know. I don't want to be gross. I will avoid dating the hunky bear doctor. Like any of us would be so happy to date this like hunky large man who's like smart and loaded. I mean, what a fucked up thing. I knew masturbation was a funny word. I did not know what it meant. And I cannot tell you how I figured it out. The first time I can remember masturbating to the point that I actually made anything happen was something very early on. And I don't even remember how I figured that out. But it would have been young enough that it was the point where I didn't really know I was attracted to men. So it was probably fantasizing about women. I didn't really know what to do with that attraction. So I have this vague memory of like there being some sort of connection with the first time I made myself actually come. This is so embarrassing because I did not really think this was going to come up as much as it did. And Lisa Kudrow? <laughs> so I think like there was some sort of masturbatory fantasy about Lisa Kudrow. And that is to this day the primary association I have with Lisa Kudrow, which is a really weird thing to think about because she's great. And um, I think as a very young person, she made sense as something to invest myself, like my mental energy in. I think I was mistaking like female adoration with like sexual attraction. I cannot believe I'm bringing up Friends as much as I am. I don't even like Friends. I think Friends is a shitty TV show. I don't like watching it. I don't think it's funny. I think it had a lot of toxic messages and it's, people are going to be like, this guy really likes Friends. I really do not. It just might have been a pivotal thing in specific weird ways. I don't know what the fuck I was in high school. Uh, I might have been an introvert in high school. I have no idea who knew I was not straight. I really couldn't tell you. I was just on a day-by-day basis doing whatever I could do to get through the day and mentally survive and have grades that were high enough that I could go to a college that was far away. I didn't have to deal with that shit anymore. I mean, I, I played sports and I went to some parties, but I was like a stupid amoeba of a person that had no real personality. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know how to express myself. So the first time I had sex with anyone was in high school. Uh, it was with a girl, my girlfriend, who was bossy in the way I still like uh, with women. I have always been attracted to women who have convictions and want to see those through and are not scared to tell people what they think is the right way things should happen. It was not bad. It was maybe slightly underwhelming. Like it didn't feel like the thing that I was led to believe it would be. But that happened, and I was like, oh, I have sex now. This is, this is interesting. She'd had sex before, and everything worked mechanically. And as far as I knew at the time, everything turned out great. I am almost certain that I did not live up to her expectations, and uh, there was probably much room for improvement. <laughs> I've never really thought about this from her perspective. She probably was like, I, I got to put in some work in order for this to be worth the time I'm putting into it. Um, that went on for a while with sporadic sex happening, but about six months after I had sex with her, I had sex with, uh, a guy and it was like, oh, that's more like it. That seems like more like what I should be doing. 
with the guy, we were not ever really a couple. I kind of refer to him as a boyfriend because that's sort of like what he was, but like it wasn't a real relationship. He was someone I knew. We were kind of friends. And so like the first time we, we had like sex, we didn't have like sex, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it went through like the kind of progression you would imagine. And this is like happening sporadically over the course of like a year. So it's not like a super regular thing, but it would be like, oh, like my girlfriend doesn't know where I am and my parents aren't home. So what are you doing? Um, we were at his house, just the two of us. And he brought me over, I think for like video games was the cover story. I can't remember what it was. There was some reason I was like, sure, I'll go do that. And there was no one else at his house. And I think he had had it planned out, but I did not realize what he had planned until he did it. This is something I experience a lot in life where something will take me by surprise and I'll be like, no. And it'll bother me because I didn't see it coming. And if it was just something that was like completely not me at all, I would just be like, well, that wasn't me and brush it off. And I could not do that and could not stop thinking about it and couldn't figure out why it bothered me as much as it did. And eventually I was like, oh, fuck, I think I want to possibly do that again. And that was very hard to even admit mentally, but also it was very horny. So horny won out over reluctance. I think I called him and I was like, yeah, let's hang out again. And then we had sex and then we continue to do that kind of in that way of there being no real emotional attachment whatsoever. Went on for like a year off and on, still in high school, um, until it just stopped happening when he decided he did not want to do that anymore and stopped talking to me, which was bad. Um, We didn't even really talk about it, like ever. It was sort of like very emotionally immature people trying to talk about something that was difficult for them to talk about. And then it just turned into like a physical thing solely. Like even in in that event, it was just like, well, this talking obviously is not doing anything. Um, We should probably uh, just uh, kiss again. And uh, that led to sex much more quickly than it ever had with my girlfriend. I do kind of think this person might not have been fully honest with me. I think he was a very compartmentalized person. I was under the impression at the time that he was figuring all of this out with me. That might not have been completely true, but uh, he just literally stopped talking to me one day and has never talked to me again. I was embarrassed enough. I was like, oh, he's, I think he's mad at me. I'm like, well, I was so scared of sex and I was so scared of admitting that like there was stuff I didn't know. Like I, I just, I don't even know why I have that in my head that like I should know how to do stuff that I would not been taught how to do and wasn't prepared to do. Now I realize I'm like, he, 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 he did not grow up to be a gay person. Um, as far as I know. Um, and he was probably just unprepared to deal with what he was doing or even deal with the idea that like he might've had an inclination and then been like, eh, that's not for me, which is fine. That is totally acceptable. His response to that being like, I'm just not going to talk to the person anymore. It was probably not the best for me, but um, yeah, that's how it ended. It was like the, like literally the worst re- relationship I've ever been with a human being because we were trying to do something that we didn't know how to do. At this point, I was probably reading stuff online to be like, oh, that's what that is. But 
I was so embarrassed by sex and also embarrassed by the idea of me not knowing what I was doing. I didn't want to reveal how little I knew about sex, I guess, even though we both knew the fucking situation, but we weren't talking about it. And we were trying to figure out something that was hard to do that we had not done before without talking about it. It was really bad. It was, it was like not, not a great way to figure out sex. Mm. Yeah. Given that though, because you know, in your defense, not a lot of instruction yeah. for young people on how to begin to do, start doing it. I mean, looking back and giving yourself some peace and a break, you know, like, do you think it, it helped at all? Or was it only just frustration? Um, it helped in that I was arriving in college ahead of a lot of people that had not had sex and a lot of like gay guys who had not had sex in high school. But it held me back in that it was, in retrospect, a kind of psychologically damaging relationship that made me scared of emotional intimacy and also didn't really give me any instruction as to how to interact with another man in a meaningful way. Like, that's something that it took me a very long time to even admit that I wanted, much less figure out how to do I went to school at UC Santa Barbara. It was very white, very straight, center to conservative leaning. I think kids probably came from wealthier, more conservative households. I think it was actually probably less diverse than my high school because my high school is about like half white, half Latino. A lot of straight kids. I remember being like, where are all the queer kids? I'm like, I think uh, it's me. The first time I fell in love was probably was definitely that first long-term relationship I had with a guy that uh, 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 taught me that it is okay to uh, talk about sex. This is someone you met in college. Yeah. How did you meet? Facebook. Facebook was brand new. It was a college-only thing at the time. And that gave me a way of, you could search by, I want to see men who are interested in men. And you could see all the guys who publicly stated that on their Facebook profile. And um, I thought he was cute, so I said hi. And we had friends in common. And I think I met him at a party slightly after that. Even though I was getting ready to not be at college anymore, it was a promising enough relationship that I stayed while he continued to go to college. I think I really liked him. And that was enough that I'm like, maybe this could be a more long-term thing. I got the sense that he was a person who had not truly fit in in the other places he'd been in life. And I don't think either of us truly fit in at this college. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but for some reason, his housing situation got fucked up. And I'm like, just come live with me for a little bit and you'll figure out stuff later on. And then he never moved out. And we lived together for a few years, actually. So as the relationship evolved, I got comfortable with the idea of being a bottom, which I had a lot of weird shame about before then and felt like I had to be both. if I, Otherwise, I wasn't doing it right. And we fell into a more comfortable uh, um, top-bottom relationship. But then as time went on, there was not 
a deepening or an exploration beyond that, we didn't continue to explore, develop, and it wasn't evolving, and that's why it ended up not working out in the long run. It might have just been that we had ended up exploring what was there to explore as a couple. We should have moved on and probably should have broken up earlier, and we didn't, but... So we broke up, and um, in the time I was in Los Angeles, it just wasn't working out. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I felt like I was fucking up the relationship because, like, it was just never as good as it was before when we were living together. And I thought it was my fault. And I was like, this fucking sucks. But we broke up, and it was for the best. And I'm like, all right, I have to learn how to date. So um, I ended up going on a date with this guy, and he posted on my Facebook wall, if that dates this conversation at all. And my ex texted me. And he's like, how do you know that guy? I was like, oh, we went on a date. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, how do you know that guy? He's like, he doesn't like me. I'm like, oh, okay. So um, I went on another date with this guy and I mentioned my ex. And he's like, yeah, I know him, but I don't like him. I'm like, how do you know him? He's like, oh, he's dating my ex. I was like, what? I'm like, that's weird. That must have happened just quickly because um, I didn't even know he was dating anyone. And he's like, oh, no, no, they've been dating for like two years. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I've been dating for two years. And I'm like, what do you, that can't be right. What do you mean? He's like, no, they have. Like, they went to France together. And I was like, they, he went to France with, oh, fuck. And I was like, uh, I have to use the bathroom. And I'm like, without letting him know it was up, I went to the bathroom and, like, literally had, like, a conversation with myself. I was like, Whatever, what the fuck? Like, you can't do anything about this now. Like, just go out and enjoy the date. And I did. And we had sex. And it was great. And I ended up dating him for probably, I can't remember how, was it six months to a year? We dated for a long time. And I had to reach out to my ex and be like, so I realized that you were not completely honest with me about this entire thing. That's fucked up. And fuck you. And we didn't talk for most of the time I was dating this new guy. So it was like the exes crisscrossed and we're now dating each other in parallel and it was this weird situation that I felt stupid about. And um, everyone was like, well, what a piece of shit. I'm like, yeah, I guess. But like, here's the thing. We should have broken up. We didn't bro- break up because we did like each other a lot. And we were not emotionally prepared to have the conversations about like, we need to open this up or we need to, need to see other people because we're not going to continue to grow. If we're together, it's just going to be bad. And we did not know how to have those conversations. So it was not great that he cheated on me and was dating a completely other person. But like the entire time our relationship wasn't working, I thought I fucked up. I was like, I'm ruining this relationship. He's the first person I've ever loved and I'm doing something to sabotage a relationship. What a fucking idiot I am. And I was like, oh, it wasn't my fault at all. Like it was never going to succeed. I was not being given all the proper information. This is absolutely not my fault. Or it is my fault in the way I already stated, but like not because I was necessarily fucking anything up. And it was such a relief to know that this was not my fault, that I was not really angry at him anymore. So I like when I was still dating the new guy, I was we ended up getting dinner and I was just like, this does really suck. But I live in Los Angeles now. I left like almost everything I have of my old life behind. And you're one of the only connections I have to that anymore. And also we know a lot of the same people, so we're gonna see each other anyway. I think we should just like be okay with it. And some of my friends were very surprised by this, but I was like, there's no reason to pretend like I'm mad at someone that I'm not actually mad at. Like we had the conversation, 
where we apologize for things that happened and he apologized for cheating on me. But um, I don't hold it against him and we're reasonably close. Like we don't see each other in person very often, but we keep in touch. Like we know what's going on in each other's life. And I'm glad I preserved that relationship in spite of everything. Well, sounds like you were an adult. <laughs> At that point, I was an adult. That's like one of the most adult interactions I've had with another human. I mean, you, sh- you should uh, be proud of yourself for doing that. I think a lot of people would stay hurt and use the pain to justify being angry at somebody. You know what I mean? Like for me, I, I'm like in your camp. I think it just takes too much energy to, yeah. be, to be mad at somebody, especially like you said, somebody's going to, you're going to see because you run in the same circles. It's just so exhausting. Like who wants to run out of a room if you see your ex walk into it? That's not fun. Right. Yeah. And that was the first time I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to date now. And that was probably the first time I was spending time around people and like guys who were gay and potentially receptive and having crushes and wondering if we were going to like hang out again. But that, that was like well into my 30s. Do you recall one of the hookups that like has had a big impact on me is a guy I met at the Eagle here in Los Angeles. Isn't 2019, um, end of 2019. So like just sort of before everything locked down, it was a weeknight. It was a very slow, quiet night. I'd met a friend there for drinks and friend left and I was just there kind of being drunk and he came over and started talking to me and he was not the kind of guy I would have normally gone up to and like expressed an interest in uh, just even a few years earlier in my life because for most of the time I was dating here in Los Angeles, I was myself a leaner guy dating leaner guys who fit the sort of stereotype for what a gay guy should look like. I think I was like making eyes at him because I was like, he was, I thought he was very attractive and I was drunk enough to not have like the shyness of like, he wouldn't want to talk to me. I'm just like, I am going to enjoy this big sexy guy who's here with me right now. Yeah. He was house-sitting not that far from the bar, and we went to where he was house-sitting and fooled around. He was really fucking hot in a way that I don't think I'd ever hooked up with a guy who was that big before. Um, because I think I was, honestly... Um, really conscious about whether I was allowed to like guys who looked like that and what was acceptable. And he was definitely a type that like, I would not have, I would not have felt comfortable approaching just a few years earlier. The thing about it that was especially impressive on me, I guess is the word, is that we were fooling around and he's like, you really like my belly, don't you? I was like, I, I really do. And he's like, good, I'm glad I grew it. I was like, I thought he was joking. I was like, ha what a funny thing to say. And then he went on to explain that, like, he used to be skinnier and uh, started to put on weight and was really okay with it and went from being a leaner-looking gay guy to, like, a bigger, more bearish gay guy and showed me a picture of what he looked like, like, a few years before. I was like, holy fuck, he looked like a different person. And the idea that, like, this could be the same person was, like, kind of mind-blowing to me and an incredible turn-on to me. And we fully had sex after that. It was very satisfying. And on the way out, he's like, you might like that, too. And it turned out 
Um, right after it happened, he left town and I think I do have his phone number in my phone, but I don't remember what his name was. So it was just, it was pretty much that one significant interaction and just kind of kept thinking about that and getting like objecting to him being right less and less. Leading up to that, a few years before that, I, I got a gym membership. I started lifting weights. And that is something I never thought I was allowed to do. I knew there was big, muscular gay guys out there. And I don't know where I thought they got that from. But I just assumed that that was something that I would not be allowed to pursue myself. Mm-hmm. And then when I started going like several times a week and started building up muscle and could see myself looking like a different sort of man, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Like, I don't have to be what I started as. I'm allowed to evolve and become the sort of man that I want to be and have like some like say over which direction that goes. But it's really weird to be someone who didn't know he was gay and then kind of have being gay land on me and have to figure that out in a situation that was uh, sort of surprising and eventually get there and be like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to pursue physical relationship with women anymore. I think I'm only attracted to guys. That's fine. And get to a point where I was really good with that, but then wasn't able to like mirror that 15 years later with like saying, yes, it's expected that I should be attracted to this sort of guy. And that maybe is something that worked for me for a while, but I'm not sure that works for me anymore. And this other guy that falls outside what I thought was acceptable is actually really fucking hot and uh, something that I not only am going to allow myself to pursue, but like pursue enthusiastically and like be able to talk about it and not feel embarrassed about like what's just coming naturally to me. Some of the guys I'd always been attracted to, but like bigger guys, beefier guys, bearish guys, um, just big guys with bellies, honestly. Uh, and starting to realize that I was responding to that and then going out in the world and being at like Home Depot or something and being like, huh, I'm noticing a sort of man that I was not conscious of being attracted to before. And that might seem sort of surprising, but your dick's going to lead you in a new direction no matter whether you want to or not. And you're just going to end up following it. And so I was starting to like on apps hit up guys who were more like that and fewer guys who were more like the kind of guys I used to date. Mm-hmm. So COVID happened and the gym closed. I bought a bench press. So now we're like two years on the other end of it. And I myself have gained some weight and have been so fucking okay with it that it is crazy how much of my life as a gay man leading up to this was spent thinking that gaining weight would mean number one, social death, number two, sexual death. And number three was something that I would inherently feel bad about. Like I would be embarrassed and it would be something that I'd be constantly trying to fix. And that's not been my experience at all. I've been like, oh no, this is good. Like I, I feel better about my body in a way I never have before. I would spend a lot of mental energy trying to apologize for being gay by like being a sort of gay that's not going to weird out straight people and being quietly gay in a way that like my family's going to be okay with. I realized that I was spending a lot of my mental energy working to make other people comfortable. And that's probably one of the reasons it didn't occur to me until much later in life that I hadn't realized what kind of guy I'm actually attracted to. I find myself 
really inclined to talk about this experience with people and to like say like, Hey, like I never realized this could be a, a thing that worked for me and it was missing from my life. And now that I have found it, it's a lot better. Maybe some of the way other people are living their lives, not challenging some of the weird restraints they're putting on themselves about what kind of person they can be, who they're allowed to be attracted to. Maybe that is something we all need to take the time to investigate and um, possibly find that we're a different person than we thought we were, and that's okay. And we should be allowed to explore that as much as we want. So it's been really interesting test driving this new body. I think the response has been almost entirely positive and fairly enthusiastic, but that's not a completely accurate measure of how everyone would receive it. I have a belly now and I like it. And I didn't have that before. I was less specifically a type someone could point to. And it's like, that is a type I like. So the guys who like that are going to interact with me in a way they wouldn't have before because I wasn't registering with them before. There are probably guys who are not into it, but I'm not interacting with them. So I guess it balances out to mostly me interacting with a new group of guys than I was before and who is very into what I'm doing and very receptive to it. And that feels amazing. I have a theory that um, some people specialize and some people generalize. It's like animals in nature. Like some animals eat lots of stuff. Some animals eat one specific thing that no one else eats. But since no one else is eating it, they get to eat as much as they want. And I think with dating, like I think we all know people who are more of a type. And people look at that person and they're like, yes or no. As opposed to like most people who are less specifically a type, they're like, maybe. Mm-hmm. I lost my hair when I was like 30. Been bald for a long time. And I grew a mustache and have like a sometimes beard. I am turning 40 and I'm just now starting to see like, oh, there's like two or three gray hairs. I'm like, it's weird that all the signifiers of old age kicked in earlier for me than it did with most people, except for the gray hair. That's the one thing that I'm actually really stoked on because it's a great fucking look. I can't think of a single guy who I think is not sexier for having some to a lot of gray hair on his head or on his facial hair. What I figured out is that I like bigger guys. I think bigger guys are really attractive. And not only is that the kind of guy that I find myself physically attracted to, but also as time has gone on, I realized that as I've gotten bigger myself, I feel more comfortable and more myself. I didn't have sex during COVID. I didn't have sex at all during 2020, which was really weird. So I... Did eventually get vaccinated and was like, great, I'm going to have sex. And there was a guy I've been talking to for like a few weeks at least. And there's this whole idea of like, yes, when we're both vaccinated, we will go on a date. We'll have a good time. And I was really looking forward to it. It was very cute. When it came time to have sex, nothing happened. And um, that's never happened to me before. There was no, there was heat. Um, and I think he was good. And it was just specifically me. I was like, oh, like, I'm not getting hard. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this because it was specifically planned that I would 
top and he would bottom. And um, did not happen. And I'm like, I'm not, I've not been in that situation before. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what to do. Like, do we wait? Uh, do we, I don't know how to solve that. Um, it's not fun. It is something I'm still trying to figure out. But um, as far as like my therapist and I have discussed it, he's like, well, you spent two years thinking of all human bodies as big bags of disease. It might not be that weird that you would have trouble expressing physical intimacy with another human being. It might take a while. And it is taking me a while. And it was kind of embarrassing. I've actually not heard that many other people talk about this, like COVID-related sexual dysfunction. And I'm not quite through it yet. I'm I'm trying to therapy my way through it rather than like use like a different kind of solution to sex. And I, I have been able to have sex subsequently, but um, it's been weird. It's been as good as I hoped it would be. And I feel like it's something I'm still building my way back up to. But uh, my therapist is like, we we as a civilization went through like a trauma and it is not weird that we would have to have some time and work to get us on the other side of that trauma to the point where we can be with another person physically. And it felt like what it did before. If I'm hooking up with someone, everything is going to be based on what I'm feeling towards them. I want to make you feel as good as I possibly can while you're here. Uh, Let's talk about like what you actually want. That's not ever how I would say it, but that's the gist of it. I will be getting off on the fact that you're getting off. And I am very happy to accommodate you in whatever way like I can do that we're both comfortable with, I guess. But I also, I like when someone might put me out of my comfort zone to a degree because I'm like, I have not done that before. But the idea of it being hot to you makes it enticing to me in a way that like I'm willing to step out and try this. I might fuck it up. Uh, and I, I apologize in advance if I do that. But uh, I also might get it right. And that might be a very special thing that we could share. Something that's been a problem for me in my adult sexual life is people that get into any form of role play or dirty talk because I'm not a performer and a lot of role play sometimes comes off like a bad improv sketch to me. And so I'm like, this is so silly. (laughs) If someone is into that, I'm willing to push past the, this is silly and I don't like this. And we're going to be like, I can probably fake something that'll make them feel good. And I might actually enjoy it myself. That is one thing that for some reason has been coming up more and more. I kind of look like more like a dad than I used to. And people want to get into like some sort of like Dom authority figure, like role play with me, which is not me, but maybe I can fake it long enough to get them off. And then I don't have to, stay in that character anymore. <laughs> what would be some examples of the roles that you've been cast? <laughs> oh, I get coach a lot. Um, I think because I dress like a gym coach in my normal life, like it's a lot of shorts and sweatshirts. My Halloween costume, I just put a whistle on on what I would normally wear out. People are like, oh, you're a gym coach. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I get a lot of coach stuff, which I'm, I'm fine with. If there's one thing that I think has stood in the way of me getting the most out of being like a sexual being, it is a very dumb fixation on being worried about what other people think. 
that prevented me from um, being as open as I wanted to be as a gay person for a long time. And even acknowledging that I was attracted to a type of guy that fell outside what I was told was socially acceptable, it was very helpful to realize that, like, no one cares. Especially, like, my family members, they're not paying attention. They're doing their own thing. They don't care what I do. Once I got that in my head, it became a lot easier to just not only accept who I am, but, like, be able to have open conversations with people about it in a way that lets other people know who I am in a way that lets people know me on a more intimate level, but also just might get me laid because I'm putting it out there, what I like and what I'm into. And people who are listening for that will seize on that and be like, oh, that, okay, you, let's, let's do that. I, if there's any guys out there who think that they need to have abs t- to get laid, I will be the first person to be like, you know what? Maybe you should not do that. And uh, you might be surprised how much more satisfying your sexual life is when you're not working really hard to maintain a body that's not who you want to be. Mm-hmm. I was pretty clear on how I felt about it before the pandemic hit. And then it was like realizing what this was going to be long term. And I'm like, I think I'm going to emerge from this as a bear. That will be interesting. I'm not sure that it exactly has happened, but. Definitely in the cards. Keep lifting weights. Keep moving in a direction with my body that I feel comfortable and um, makes me feel like I'm myself and makes me feel like I can be like the most realized version of like the sexual person that I am. So I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know exactly how far that's going to go, but I'm down to find out. I'm also down to find out with a guy or guys who are moving along similar paths. I think this entire interview has been about how hooking up is different now than when I first came out because I was having weird, rigid sex with guys that I wasn't necessarily really attracted to and not knowing how to talk about it versus taking a deep breath and realizing it's okay to be myself and chase after the guys that I am actually attracted to. That was just not on my radar at all as something that was even possible for me. And I think it would be helpful to be like, Yeah, give that another thought. Like, go back and reinvest in those big, sexy guys that, like, you for some dumb reason don't think you're allowed to chase after in your 20s. You should get going on that earlier. It'd probably probably be very satisfying for you. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruitball collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. 
Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. Mixing for this episode provided by Dave Pesner. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.